Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Camden Yards in Baltimore. It's the Orioles 3, the Cleveland Indians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And boy, it is good to be back talking with you again. Did you miss me? I missed you folks. I miss talking baseball. Uh, it was kind of bizarre to have two games off in a row like that in the middle of the season, right? Uh, it felt like it's been a long time since we've watched some Cleveland baseball. And uh, they did let us down last night. They did disappoint us last night. It was an interesting game. Like most games, you'll see something you've never seen before. And uh, I can't remember the last time the Indians had a fan interference situation like this. Obviously, there's been some famous examples of it. Uh, the Baltimore Yankees playoff series, probably one of the most famous in you know in modern history in our lifetime. Uh, but we got one. We got one last night, and it did not go our way. So uh, let's get into it. Let's break down the game. We got some national news, and I'm going to remember to do MVP for the day today. I think I forgot the entire White Sox series. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I went that entire White Sox series without giving an MVP for the day. So uh, I'm going to remember today. <laughs> uh, there was so much to talk about in those White Sox games that uh, completely slipped my mind by the time we got to the end of the podcast. So let's get into it. Let's break it down. Let's get into all the details on this game. So top storyline for me. Yes, the Indians offense did put together eight hits. Uh, most people in the lineup had a hit. Uh, Ahmed Rosario did not have a hit. Josh Naylor did not have a hit. Austin Hedges didn't have a hit. But Chang, pinch hitting in the eighth spot, had a hit. So the eighth spot in the lineup did have a hit. So yeah, only two spots on the lineup didn't produce a hit yesterday. But here it is. Here is the top storyline. Cleveland Indians, team with runners in scoring position, 0-4-7. There it is. There it is. I tweeted it out. I circled it on the box score. 0-4-7. If you're giving yourself chances, if you're putting yourself in situations, and they had a couple of multi-hit innings here. They have a couple of innings, especially early in the game, where they've got multiple guys on base, and they just cannot come through with a big hit to, you know, to deliver. In the... Uh, in the second inning, there was a walk and a single from Owen Miller. Naylor flies out. Austin Hedges strikes out to end that threat. Third inning, they get two singles from Hernandez and Ramirez. Harold Ramirez force out, ends that threat. I believe it was a ground out to short where they forced Jose Ramirez out at second. Uh, fourth inning, fifth inning are junk. Uh, sixth inning, they finally score a run, but this isn't done with a runner in scoring position. Jose Ramirez singles. Harold Ramirez hits that triple after him. It would it hit the perfect spot on the outfield wall uh, in Baltimore, and it ricocheted past the center fielder. Harold Ramirez is able to get all the way to third standing. Jose Ramirez comes in to score. It was a I mean it was a great shot from Harold Ramirez. It was going to be a double no matter what ballpark you're in. Uh, it was 109.1 off the bat. Uh, 790 expected batting average. So it was definitely going to be. Uh, extra bases, no matter what ballpark in America you're in. Uh, just ricocheted right to allow him to get that triple. So now he becomes a runner in scoring position. Eddie Rosario grounds out to first base. We almost, 
we almost had a Javi Baez, Chicago Cubs, Pittsburgh Pirates situation. Because Eddie Rosario does start shuffling back to home plate. The first baseman for the Orioles, I, I don't, oh, Mancini, that's right, Mancini's the first baseman. The, the veteran knows what he's doing in this situation. He takes a few steps towards Rosario and says, nah, screw this, and just turns and throws to the second baseman who knew what he was doing. Wilkerson covers, and uh, they get the force, obviously, the automatic force out at first base. And uh, Harold Ramirez dances off third, but he can't really go anywhere. In fact, he has to dive back to the back. So, we almost had a Javi Baez, you know, Pirates situation on our hands here. Baltimore did exactly what you're supposed to do in that situation. But Eddie Rosario cannot get it done with a runner on third and one out. Oh, man. We talk about it all this time. How many ways is there to score from third base with less than two outs? If that's a ground ball to second base to shortstop, that run probably scores. Uh, but no, it's a sharp hit ground out to the first baseman, and Harold Ramirez can't go anywhere. Uh, and then Owen Miller strikes out to end that threat. Strikes out bad. Uh, I'm, it's a little concerning, the strikeouts. If Owen Miller was hitting in the 100s just because Major League defenders are better than Minor League defenders, okay. But one thing about Owen Miller is that he wasn't striking out a ton. Like He's a contact guy. So... To see him striking out, to see him struggling like that is a little bit concerning for me, but I really want to give Owen Miller a long look here and a long runway here to get himself going at the plate. So, yeah, so and it keeps going, uh, right? Uh, when's the next time we got a guy in runner in scoring position? It would be in the ninth inning. Okay, uh, there was a guy on in the seventh, but it was just a single. Bradley Simmer did steal second. So technically, he did get himself into scoring position in the seventh. That one went for review, and uh, it was a really crafty slide by Bradley Zimmer. He gets the foot in, almost ducks his head underneath the tag, and then gets his hand uh, on the bag before his foot comes off. We saw him do another awkward slide on a stolen base where he kind of uh, collapsed his leg and kind of uh, you know, spun under his foot to allow himself to keep his foot on the bag. And I think it's just a fact that he's a big dude, right? I mean, Bradley Zimmer, when he goes in to second base on these stolen base attempts, it is a lot of arms and legs. He's 6'4". It's a lot of arms and legs come flying into that bag. And he's found ways to keep himself on the bag and not overslide it. Uh, Maybe he needs to start a slide sooner. It doesn't look pretty. I mean, you worry that he's going to twist an ankle or a knee one of these days, the way his leg kind of buckles under that bag to keep him because he's going in so hard. Uh, but he's able to make it, and he knew. He knew he was safe. He absolutely felt. He immediately called for the replay. He refused to leave the bag. Uh, the broadcast wasn't so sure. The broadcast went into there, we're going to break, and then held up. So he gets into scoring position, and then Cesar Hernandez strikes out. So. Again, another 0-4 with runners in scoring position. And then in the ninth inning, Eddie Rosario starts with a single. He's forced out by Josh Naylor. Yu Cheng with a nice pinch hit single to right field. It puts, I still want to see Cheng pull the ball. We know he has power to left field. We've got to see Cheng pull one and get some extra base hits like that. It's nice that he can go to the opposite field sometimes, but 
Chang, where is the power? Where is that power swing we've seen in spring trainings? We've seen in summer camps, right? We know it's there. Uh, man, he really needs to find that. So that's a runner in scoring position there. Josh Taylor's in scoring position, and Bradley Zimmer grounds out to end the threat. So yeah. So, so many chances with runners in scoring position in this game, and the Indians just can't deliver that big hit that they need. They delivered plenty of hits. There were plenty of Indians on the base paths. Um, only one walk. Not a lot of walks. Usually this team can gather a few walks together. Um, but no, not, to, not last night. Uh, they just could not deliver the big hit when they needed it, right? That's, that's the storyline. It's got to be the top storyline here. And, uh, I mean, they're not carrying much of a bench right now, so there's not really anyone to turn to on the bench. The only ones on the bench yesterday were Chang, uh, Jake Bowers, so your two first basemen because Naylor was playing first base because you were deploying all four of your outfielders, and Rivera, the backup catcher. That was your entire bench. There's no one really to turn to. They're still carrying a ton of pitchers. Every time I listen to the Selby is Godcast, Zach and TJ, especially Zach, friend of the show, is always like, they're going to call someone up, right? After these off days, they have to call up a bat and send down one of these pitchers that they're carrying. They're carrying Eli Morgan still, right? They're carrying Kyle Nelson still. There's a ton of young arms here that don't necessarily need to be here. And uh, you keep waiting for them to call up another bat and give someone a chance, especially with the DH spot open. And they just, they refuse to do it. And maybe part of the reason they refuse to do it is because the batting averages look awful in Columbus. Absolutely awful. Jimenez has hit since he's been down there. I don't know how many at-bats he's had, but he's hitting 275 with a 714 OPS. Ernie Clement has been hitting down there, 289 average with an 822 OPS. But the names you've been waiting for and the names that Meisel and Zuppi talk about on their podcast uh, they're not hitting. Daniel Johnson, who's the hit number three hitter right now for Columbus, hitting in the three-hole, 182 with a 659 OPS. Bobby Bradley, the one we've all been waiting for as soon as they cut Jake Bowers or uh, demote Yu Cheng, Bobby Bradley in the cleanup spot is hitting 194 with a 729 OPS. The OPS is supported by the fact that he is hitting home runs. He is cranking. I think he's definitely leading the team in home runs. I want to say it was up to nine home runs. He was three for three yesterday. So that helped his average. That got his average up to 194. Imagine what it was before a three for three day. Uh, Gabriel Arias, who was at third base last night, he's hitting 200 with a 614 OPS. Nolan Jones, who was DHing, 169 batting average with a 579 OPS. Oscar Mercado, a 179 batting average with a 565 OPS. How can you be waiting for these? Those are the names right there. Those are the five names that you've kind of been keeping your eye on, right, Cleveland fans? And uh, how could you how could you stay with a straight face that Mercado or Jones or Arias or Bradley or Johnson deserve a call-up when they can't keep their batting averages over 200? In AAA, what are they going to do here in the majors? Yes, Bobby Bradley would probably hit a home run or two here in the majors. But the batting average isn't going to look, probably isn't going to look any better. You never know, though. Baseball is a crazy game. And you could call a guy up, right? 
Look at what's going on with your mean Mercedes right now in Chicago. A guy that's never been given a chance finally gives him a chance, and he turns out to be, uh, you know, the reincarnation of Babe Ruth. You know, wh- whatever. He's crushing the ball. He is in a slump lately, so he has cooled off. But he was crushing that ball to start in April. And uh, so, yeah, so I don't know. I would love to see Bobby Bradley up here. I would love to see another hitter on this roster called up to get a chance. You probably don't need another infielder as much as Ernie Clement is hitting unless you're going to send Yu Chang down. Because you got Owen Miller right now who's playing all over the field. And uh, that's exactly what Ernie Clement would be doing probably if he were called up. So, yeah, it's it's brutal. Who are you going to call up, right? What, what number is going to tell you Bobby Bradley's home runs? That's the only thing. That OPS is the only thing that's going to tell me, yeah, give that guy a chance up here. Columbus is 9-17 and 17 on this season. It's not going well down there, uh, down, you know, I-71 right now. So there's our top storyline. Uh, the other thing, obviously, the other storyline, if one storyline's hitting, the other storyline is probably going to be pitching. And the pitching was pretty good to start the game for the Indians. Uh, Mejia apparently is going by J.C. Mejia. Uh, I like Giancarlos Mejia. It's got a good full ring to it. I love using all three names like that. I don't know why the broadcast, they kept calling him JC Mejia. Uh, in the game, some of the game stories I was reading, they were calling him JC Mejia. Giancarlos Mejia is a fun name to say. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to use the whole thing. Uh, it's like that in the box score here on Baseball Savant, so I'm going to still go with it. He goes three innings. Uh, and it, Was this his first start? I believe this was his first start as a Cleveland Indian, goes three innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, two strikeouts on 50 pitches, only gave up two hard hit balls. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty good, for a guy who's on a pitch count, we knew it was going to be a short start. Yeah, this is his first start in four appearances now. We knew it was going to be a short start. I don't know why this guy wasn't starting from the moment they called him up. It makes no sense. He was stretched out in AAA. He was starting in AAA. When you called him up, you went with Henches. You gave McKenzie a couple of extra chances. You even gave Quantrill a couple of starts before Mejia. And it made no sense. This guy was starting in AAA. He was stretched out. He could have given you five or six innings when he first got called up. Now, we've got to go through this whole thing where we stretch him out again. So, yeah, he only gets to go three innings, but it's pretty dominant three innings. Phil Mayton follows that up with two dominant innings himself. No hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts from Mayton. And Nick Sandlin comes in and pitches a great, uh, what would that be, a sixth inning. He goes a clean inning with two strikeouts on 14 pitches. Pretty darn dominant. Um, Those three guys combined to only give up four hard-hit balls. Uh, Nick Wickren, in his one inning in the ninth, gave up four hard-hit balls just by himself. Uh, Obviously, Shaw and Wickren give up the runs, and uh, Shaw takes the loss. And uh, that is where the Indians pitching kind of falls apart. He also gets a blown save and a loss. Nice for uh, Brian Shaw. So, those top three guys, though, really, really pitching well. And uh, he was doing it with a lot of pitches. He threw five different pitches, went to the curveball twice. Um, but the sinker, the slider, the forcing fastball, and the changeup. And what I liked and what uh, Rick Manning was really talking about in the broadcast 
is that these pitches went to different sides of the plate. And I think that could really, really benefit Giancarlo Mejia. Um, he did not have a big CSW on the day. His CSW was only 20%. But he got a lot of foul balls. 15 foul balls on 26 swings. That's a pretty high percentage of foul balls, which means he was keeping them off balance. They only put eight baseballs in play off of him. So yeah, so looking at the location, looking at the pitch 3D and looking at the location of where these pitches were going for Giancarlo Mejia, and it wasn't completely one side to the left, one side to the right, but he was throwing the sinker that hard-breaking sinker to the left side of the plate. And that pitch does have a lot of horizontal movement to it. And then he was throwing his fastball and his slider to the right side of the plate. This is from the catcher view. So having those pitches going to opposite sides of the plate is a real benefit here. And it looks like the changeup was also breaking left. So uh, you've got the changeup and the sinker breaking left. You've got the fastball and the slider going right. And then the curveball can maybe go anywhere. I mean, he didn't throw that many. So it's really hard to say what the curveball will bring to this mix. But I think that's a really, really good approach. And if you go to his um, if you go to his personal page on Baseball Savant, they kind of have these heat maps that show you where a pitcher likes to locate his pitches. And he throws the sinker a ton, and he does locate it down into the left, down and on the left edge of the plate. That's what the heat map is showing me. The fastball, he locates it down into the right. The changeup, he actually throws up into the left. Um, a different quadrant with the changeup. He kind of leaves it up, which is a little bit strange. You think you'd want to see that changeup down, that fastball up. That'll be something to keep an eye on because, yeah, if we go to this game, most of the fastballs were down. One is up, uh, Pretty hittable pitch there that goes for a called strike. And then one he misses way high with. Uh, so no high swinging strikes on that fastball. Uh, most of them were down. So it will be interesting to see. Most Indians pitchers like to throw their fastball up. But then the slider, he actually throws the slider kind of on the plate. I'm surprised. There is a big heat zone on the left side of the plate, almost like a backdoor slider. And uh, you'd like to see him pounding that down and away with the slider because then it works great off the changeup if he's going to leave the changeup on the left edge of the plate. So as a hitter, if it's coming in fast, if it's a sinker or a fastball, you don't know if it's going left or right, in or out. If it's a slow pitch, if it's a slider or a changeup, again, is that pitch staying in or is it breaking away? Is that pitch staying away for a lefty or is it breaking in on my hands? So yeah, that is a good combination when you can work both sides of the plate with different spin, with different with a different look. So yeah, I really like this pitch mix for Mejia, and I, I really think this guy has a chance. He's a big dude up there on the mound, a really tall guy, and uh, I think he could be a pretty dominant starting pitcher for us. He's 24 years old. He's 6'5", 240. That is a massive guy out there on the mound, right? Our Indians pitching staff has a heck of a, could uh, put together a heck of a pickup basketball team, right? With Henches and now Mejia. Uh, we got some big dudes up there on the mound. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Mejia really gets a chance to stretch this thing out and become a starter. 
going back to those other pitchers here, Maton was really dominant with his fastball and his cutter going with the hard stuff. Got eight called strikes on his four-seam fastball. On nine swings, only had three whiffs. So, right, he's not getting a lot of swing and miss, but eight called strikes from Maton yesterday, and that's how he's getting strikeouts. They didn't put a fastball in play. They fouled of 15 fastballs. They fouled off one, didn't put another one in play. Two swings on 15 fastballs. I don't know what the approach, what was going on against Phil Mayton. Let's look at his pitch 3D. Let's see where he was locating these uh, fastballs. And he was really throwing them up, up and in, up into the left edge of the plate for him. Uh, obviously a righty here, so the left edge of the plate uh, you know, it's his side of the plate. And he was really pounding the top of the strike zone with those fastballs. And then threw a few down, threw the slider and the curveball down off of that. Uh, so yeah, so it's either up into the left or down into the right. There's definitely a pattern there with his fastballs. And apparently, they decided we're not going to swing at his fastball. They swung, they swung at four curveballs. They swung three times and put three in play. So they were definitely sitting on the curveball. Uh, the cutter, uh, they swung twice and whiffed twice. So that's nice on the cutter on four cutters and only three sliders. They swung twice, fouled one off, put one in play. So I don't know what the scouting report is on Phil Maton to not swing at his fastball and just go after his off-speed stuff. Uh, so yeah, so that is interesting from the Indians uh, pitching. And then Nick Sandlin. Nick Sandlin was pretty dominant with his slider. Five swings against the slider, four whiffs, one ball was fouled off. Uh, so they did not put a slider in play. That's pretty dominant from Sandlin. Uh, he also gets a called strike on a sinker and threw the four-seam fastball uh, three times. So really mixing up the pitches there. Uh, let's look at his 3D map. Let's see where he was locating. Uh, Nick Sandlin was throwing that slider for a strike, actually. He was putting that slider in the strike zone, kind of challenging them with that slider. And then was throwing the uh, the sinker to both sides of the plate and throwing that fastball uh, off the plate. Throwing it up and throwing it down. So that's kind of his pitch mix. But it's really interesting. These sliders are on the plate. They're, he's not pounding these sliders down and away. He's throwing these sliders for strikes. He's challenging them to hit that slider, and they could not yesterday. So, great job from those three pitchers. It gets pretty ugly when you get to Brian Shaw and when you get to uh, Nick Wickren. So, whew, yeah, the pitching. Uh, I got to say, the pitching started out really well and then kind of fell apart on me. So, all right, let's get into our final storyline here, which is the fan interference play. And watching that replay, at first you don't know what happens. So let's set the situation here. Uh, we are in the seventh inning, and the uh, the Orioles have a man on. He walks uh, Santander. I'm going to mess up this name. This is the worst name for the Cleveland accent. And if you've never been to Cleveland before, we have an accent. If you're from Cleveland and you think you don't have an accent, you have an accent. And it's the hard A sound. A Clevelander would say this name, Santander. That's how a Clevelander would say this last name, Anthony Santander. I was listening to uh, 
the way uh, they were saying it on the TV broadcast last night, uh, the way Underwood was saying it, and that is not how he was pronouncing it. So it's definitely uh, not a great name for a Clevelander to say. So I'm going to try. I think it was Santander or something like that. So he walks to start the inning. Uh, Freddie Galvis hits into a force out. Uh, They're not able to turn a double play there. And then Ryan Mountcastle. Let's go to this actual matchup here. Because if I remember correctly, it was a pretty long at bat. And uh, yeah, he fouls off a few pitches here. So Shaw is really working him down. He's really pounding down. He throws him a cutter down at the bottom edge of the plate, swinging strike. Throws him a cutter away, gets him to chase and foul it off. Throws him a slider down and on the inside edge, he fouls it off again. Mountcastle is really fighting here. Throws him a cutter in the dirt, really misses with that one. Easy to lay off for a ball. It's still a one-two count. Shaw still got him. Throws him another slider. I'm telling you, that's the bottom of the zone. It's below the zone. It's at the knees. And he is able to lift it with a launch angle of 29 degrees. He really went down and got this slider. This was not a hanging slider that Brian shot through. It's a pretty good pitch. It is on the plate, though. That's the difference. The one he fouled off was an inside slider that, uh, that was below the knees that he fouled off, but it was on the left edge of the plate. This one gets the middle of the plate. It's down, though. That's a hard pitch to lift. You would love to see the slider down and away, but he gets it. He launches it on a 29-degree launch angle, 94.9 mile power exit velocity, 368 feet, had an expected batting average of 230 because... Eddie Rosario was there. He was back. He was, I am 100% sure that he had that ball tracked and caught. If it is not for those two knuckleheads that lean over the wall, I can't blame them for wanting to catch a home run ball, right? But they definitely came over the wall and interfered with a leaping Eddie Rosario. He had that ball caught. He had it timed, tracked, and caught. If they are not there. And I I joked on Twitter, the ball don't lie. Because the ball hit the kid in the face. The one one knucklehead next to him gets all up in his business. Puts his arms in the guy's face so he can't see anymore. And the ball actually splits through all their arms and hits him like right in the eye. Right in the cheekbone. It's kind of a brutal shot. And the ball doesn't lie. And the ball told you, next time it's coming... You sit your butt down in those seats. You stay behind the railing. You stay behind the wall or you're going to get hit in the face again. You ain't supposed to be there. That's what the ball just told you. Uh, Yeah, so I have no doubt Eddie Rosario would have caught that ball if it wasn't for interference. They review it, yada, yada, yada. Oh, it's a really hard thing to review. We don't have any cameras on that angle. Yes, you could tell. You can 100% tell from the camera angles they were showing that those guys were over the railing. I mean, that's why a lot of ballparks have different things, right? They have netting of some kind that cuts on an angle. They have flower beds. In Cleveland, you have that big wall in right field where I don't think you possibly could interfere with an outfielder, right? You would have to, someone would have to be holding your ankles to interfere with an outfielder in right field in Cleveland. It's probably a good three foot width of that wall out there. And that's to keep people from interfering. If the ball comes over that wall, it's all yours. Congratulations. You got a home run. 
that one was not going to be a home run. Now, if Eddie Rosario doesn't track it and doesn't jump, it would have been a home run. But he had it. He absolutely had it. And it's a darn shame that that's the difference in the game last night. But you can't blame Brian Shaw. You cannot blame the guys who interfered when the offense is 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. Even with this two-home run, two-run home run, there's no reason we got had to make the uh, Baltimore pitching look this good. And we did. We made Keegan Aiken look really good over five innings pitch, three hits, no runs, a walk, four strikeouts on 86 pitches. We hard hit him six times, including a screaming line drive off the bat of Bradley Zimmer that turned out to be a line out to a leaping second baseman, Wilkerson. That was the hardest hit ball of the day, 112.3 mile per hour exit velocity. Um, uh, Hunter Harvey comes in. He's the one that gets hit around. But then uh, Solcer comes in. He has a, a good inning. Gives up a hit but gets the strikeout. Tanner Scott dominates in the eighth inning. Three strikeouts on ten pitches. Nearly an immaculate inning for Tanner Scott. And then Paul Fry does get into trouble in the ninth. Does give up two hits, but he gets out of it uh, for the save. So, yeah, we made the Orioles pitching which the Orioles are not known as a good pitching team. In fact, the Orioles are a struggling team. They're not that good. Their record after that win, they're now 20-37. and 37. They're one of the worst teams in baseball still. They cannot put it together. And now we have to go face their best starting pitcher, Means, today, who's 4-1 and one with a 205 ERA, who's already thrown a no-hitter this season. So, yeah. Uh, it ain't going to get easy now. That was the easy game we were supposed to win. Means was the game that we could lose, and then if we won on Friday and Sunday, we win the series. Now we got to go face and try to take on their best pitcher. So yeah, we made their pitching look way too good yesterday. All right, MVP for the day. Uh, I was debating between some of these pitchers. I'm going to give it to Phil Maton today. And uh, Mejia, it was great in his first start. But only goes three innings in that start, and we'll see once he stretches himself out and we can go five or six innings what he's got in him as a starter. But Mayton, to come in and deliver two shutout innings in relief, Mayton has been doing this all season. I guarantee nobody's appeared in more different innings than Phil Mayton, it feels like. And he may not... At the end of the season, he may not be leading the Indians in appearances, but doesn't it feel like he's there every time we need someone? If if a starter is getting shelled and we need someone to go in and shut it down, he's going to Maiden. If uh, the bullpen's getting taxed and he needs another arm late in the game, he's going to Maiden. He's using him a ton, and he delivered yesterday two dom- pretty dominant innings, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts. So Maiden, you get MVP for the day. His ERA isn't sparkling. It's at 6.05. He has definitely had appearances where he has gotten shelled. He's gotten appearances where he's gone in trying to calm things down, and it's only gotten worse. But yesterday, it was a big, big help that he's able to piggyback off Mejia and kind of get you through the fifth inning and get you into the better part of the bullpen, which is normally a recipe for success. So that's my MVP for the day. All right, don't go anywhere. We have some national news to talk about. The first thing, and everybody was tweeting about it a few days ago, I took a break from Twitter. felt good to take a break from Twitter. I don't don't do this to 
be one of the big Indians Twitter accounts to follow. I, I do this because I like talking baseball. I really hate tweeting about it, but I do it because, hey, I, we got to get the podcast out there, right? It's all about getting the podcast out there. So the name change. Everybody was tweeting about the name change. The Indians came up with their, you know, came out with their update. They said they had looked through 1,198 names or something like that. Close to 1,200 names they have reviewed as possible new names for the Cleveland baseball team. And uh, they gave absolutely zero hints on what name they're leaning towards. Absolutely zero hints on what was leading. Uh, I think Tom Withers had something like, yeah, it has to connect to the city, connect to the history of baseball here, and, and be something we can all get behind. And we're like, yeah, we already know that. That's why you're changing the name. So uh, based on the things being said, I kind of have a feeling that Spiders is out, is not. They said they've narrowed it down. They've said they've kind of got their uh, whatever they want, their top three, their top five, their top ten, whatever it is, they've narrowed it down. So we actually are getting a little bit close to this being a reality. They're running all the names that they've narrowed down through legal, through their own legal, through Major League Baseball's legal, through licensing, through all these things to see if it'll clear and pass and you know work from a legal perspective, which is the kind of the next step. Then I'm sure they've got to talk to the marketing people, the graphic designers, the artists to see what they can do with the name from that point. So there's still a long way to go. Obviously, like WKYC put out a poll, I think, and it was the same three names you've been hearing, Guardians, Spiders, Municipals. Um, I've heard all the nautical things talked about, the Commodores and Captains and things like that, the Freighters. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, so, yeah, so uh, will they go nautical? Will they go something else with Cleveland history? You know, I don't know, the Rockefellers or something like that. Who knows what they're going to come up with. But apparently they've interviewed 40,000 people, and I'm guessing most of that is via their email surveys and things like that. Like, would a name about nautical things connect with you as a fan? Uh, yes or no? How strongly do you agree? So the process is happening. I really, really want them to have that name ready by the 2022 season. I don't want to go another season calling this team the Cleveland Indians, right? Mentally, I am done with it. I am there, right? A lot. We have gone through a lot of social changes in the last few years on the way we speak, on the way we think about things. And this is definitely one of those things where when we were kids growing up, it was whatever, cowboys and Indians. Like it didn't, it didn't dawn on you as a kid, right? You, they were just the Indians, right? Chief Wahoo, you know, the tribe, all those things felt fine when you were a kid. Obviously you get a little older, you learn the implications of those things. So I'm done. That's a reason why this show is called Cleveland Baseball Mornings. Because I didn't want anything representing, you know, indigenous people, Native Americans to be part of the name of the show. So uh, I'm ready for that name change. And I really, really want it to happen by the 2022 season. I think the city is ready for it. The city the city needs it. Let's get something new out there on the field, something we can all get behind. Uh, all right, so that is the update on the name change. The update is there is no update. The update is we're still working on it. The last thing we got to talk about is 
the sticky situation going on in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, some of you fans have been tweeting at me about it. Uh, we've all seen it with Karinchak. We all know Karinchak is using something. He's got something in the thumb of that glove that he goes to over and over again. I know he's got a quirky routine, but there's definitely something there. And we've seen other pitchers locate stuff there. Other pitchers do the same thing Karachek does, where they pinch the inside of that part of that glove right inside the edge of the webbing. And so, yeah, that's a clearly an easy spot to hide stuff uh, that you want to get on your hands. But Major League Baseball has finally said we are cracking down. We Something like they talked to the owners and said, what do you want to see as a punishment for this? It is coming. Guys are going to get suspended. And we saw it with Garrett Cole in his start, I think two days ago, where his spin rates were way down. I mean, over 100, 100 RPMs less than what he'd been doing, like two, 300 RPMs less than what he was been doing. There was a great article that was put out there where a reporter, I can't remember where I found it right now, it was all over Twitter, where an, an, uh, a writer went to one of these pitching places, one of these you know pitching data places in Pittsburgh where high school kids are training, where college kids are training, and they tested out all of these things. And this guy throws 50 miles per hour. He's like me and you, right? And his RPMs were jumping 200, 300, 500 RPMs. The spin on the ball was increasing because he was trying different sticky substances on his hand to throw the ball with. So this stuff does increase your spin. Everybody in baseball knows it's happening. They say they're finally going to crack down on it. Trevor Bauer called it out a few years ago and then did it. And he basically said it's like watching everybody else speed and nobody's getting a ticket. So why am I driving the speed limit? So, yeah, he literally told you what he was doing. And it worked. And he won a Cy Young because of it. So uh, I think something that we want to keep an eye on is the spin rate of our pitchers to see does anybody's average spin, and baseball savant will tell us, does anyone's average spin drop? I'll give you an example. Phil Maiden, his average spin on the year for his four-seam fastball is 2,493 RPM. The spin yesterday was 2,488 RPM. That was his average spin. So it dropped 5 RPM. So no, it did not change much. In fact, his cutter and his curveball spun more than his yearly average yesterday. Now, Nick Sandlin. Nick Sandlin, his yearly average on a slider is 2,882 RPM. Yesterday, it was 2,661 RPM. It dropped 221 RPM. His sinker dropped 164 RPM. His four-seam fastball was down 220 RPM. Does that sound like a guy who was using some sticky stuff on his fingers and decided not to use it yesterday because he didn't want to get caught? Now, he still pitched great, which is the good news, but those spin numbers clearly show there was something different yesterday. In fact, his max, his max yesterday didn't even touch his yearly average. So something was definitely different yesterday than it had been all season for Nick Sandlin. Uh, He was the only Indians pitcher that had a significant drop in their spin rate. Uh, Looking at the Orioles pitchers, it doesn't look like anybody else had a significant drop yesterday from their yearly average. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on. I can't wait for the next time Karen checked the pitch to see if those numbers do something similar. 
They're cracking down on it. They said they're cracking down on it. They've been collecting balls and data all year to keep an eye on this stuff. So we will see. Uh, you know, it affected Garrett Cole. He got hit around in his last start from the Yankees. He's a big, big example of someone who changed teams, and suddenly their spin rate just jumped off the chart when he got to Houston. Um, Trevor Bauer, we should definitely check in on his box score. I think Bauer is a great pitcher with or without it. Um, obviously, it helped him once he started using whatever stuff he was using. So, uh, yeah, it is definitely a big national story that we are going to have to keep an eye on. And is it going to unlock a little more offense? Because obviously, the pitchers are absolutely dominating the hitters right now. So, will this unlock some offense? We'll see. We will see by the time we get to the end of the season. All right. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. We got some afternoon, some late afternoon baseball today as Savali takes on Means. It's actually going to be a really, really good matchup between two good, good starting pitchers. Two starting pitchers that could be representing their team on the All-Star game this year. So, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. It's been a few weeks since we've gotten on a call in. I am welcome to take one this weekend to talk about this Baltimore series, talk about the sticky situation going on in baseball. I'll respond to your thoughts on the air, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>